I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to behold the beauty, his beauty. That's what we want to do today. So come into your presence this morning, Lord. We just leave aside distractions and focus on the beauty that you are, who you are, God. Open our hearts, open our minds.
control no matter what we see around us, that you cannot be shaken. So we choose to build our life upon your word and on your love. Help us, enable us, fill us with your spirit that we may do this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Oh, Shelly, thank you so much for leading us. And I just, before, Tina, before you go, um, one of the things as we were worshiping that I am just so grateful for is that in the midst of difficulty, we still worship. Even, you know, Tina's husband, Art, right now, and Art, I, I bet you're listening, so we just want you to know we love you and we're praying for you. Art is at Hogue right now. He's got a blockage in his intestines, and we're not sure if today will mean that he'll have to have surgery. And so I just want to lift him up. It's, it's okay. Father God, we, we lift art up to you. You're the one who designed his body. You know him intimately, and you know how you want to bring glory to yourself and declare that you are God through this. So we entrust him into your hands. Would you use his life? Would you use this blockage for, as you see fit? We entrust him into your hands, God. And I just lift up my sister. I'm so grateful for the the example she sets, that we will worship you when the sun is shining, where we will worship you in the midst of the storm. And we worship you because you are God. Jesus, in your holy name, amen. <sighs> hey, um, if there are any kids in here, there's a, there's a couple of things. As we begin to wake up from COVID, as we begin to get little bits of a return to normalcy, a couple of things that we are doing differently this week moving forward. One is that we are going to start having children's ministry across the street. So if you are in fifth grade or below, you get to go and hang out with your peers and, and not have to listen to me. I know that my sons are very excited about that fact. So if you are here and, and with your parents this morning and you'd prefer not to listen to me but would prefer to go across the street, you are free to go. D, I'm not talking to you. I know that you would like to go as well. And I know that after last week and me anointing you with that wet towel, you thought you could escape any sort of like focus by shifting to the other side. But I can see you. You're a lot taller than most everybody else. You got that Shekinah glory going on top too. Uh, the other thing that we're doing, uh, that we are having a return to normalcy is that we are going to start having notes and start having our homeward questions to give you a, a place for you to write your thoughts down, but also be able to begin to, to continue to grapple with the conversation the rest of the week. So hopefully you got one of those uh, pieces of paper when you came in. If you did not, I've got a couple. I've got Charlie and Marley here. I love that you guys chose rhyming names. Charlie and Marley are here. If you would like to have one of those bulletins, raise your hand. They will get it to you. And with that, uh, grab your Bible and turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. We are continuing to work through this letter that is, has, over the course of this year, been my favorite letter. The place in Scripture I have found myself going to again and again for my own devotion. Um, it's a letter that was written by, I know he's very distracted, he's so handsome. Um, it, it was a letter that was written by Paul to a community of people that he birthed. And he, he's writing initially to say thank you, thank you for kind of financially supporting me. But that's just the cover story for him to be able to, as a father, speak to men and women who are living in a community that is caustic to their faith. 
living amidst a people who call Nero their Lord as opposed to Jesus their Lord. And he's writing to them to help them understand what it means to live as ambassadors of hope in a world that doesn't feel like it has a whole lot of hope. So there's a reason why we're spending so much time in this. Because it's speaking to us, many of whom could really use a dose of hope right now. And we're going to begin reading today. We're going to read chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. But let's just start with the first word. Therefore, now. Pastor, if you've been a part of our church any length of time, you've heard this. Anytime you hit the word therefore, it always helps to ask yourself, what's it there for? Because obviously this is building off of a thought that's come before. And way too often, here's what we do. We will hack a verse out of its context and use it as a cudgel to beat people into submission, into agreeing with us, or we will hack it out of its context and use it to kind of support or declare any promise that we want, although it, it kind of loses its grounding in what is actually being said. So when you hit the word therefore, it's often important for you to go, what is this, what has come before that is going to help inform what I'm reading now? And so just really briefly, let me remind us of what the there is for. Back in chapter 1, Paul introduced kind of the reason he's writing. He's writing from prison. He's in Rome. He's awaiting a trial that could either end in his exoneration or his execution. He doesn't know which. And even though it may seem like the gospel has taken a major stumble because he's been arrested and because he might be put to death, he says, guys, this is in no way the gospel failing, but it's actually helped to advance the gospel because I get to share with the whole palace guard. And there's others who have been emboldened to share the gospel. And then he points to them, and in verse Chapter 1, verse 27, he says, So, whatever happens to me, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. When he says to conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel, he's not saying conduct yourself in a manner that will then earn you the right to embrace the gospel. That's not what he's saying. Rather, as men and women who have embraced the gospel and have identified yourselves as sons and daughters of God and citizens of the kingdom of God, live like it. Live out of the gospel. He then goes on to explain what that means in chapter 2. And we've spent the last two weeks unpacking the first 11 verses because they're so rich. He basically says, rather than acting like the world around you, that thinks that the way forward is over the broken, humiliated backs of your competitors, take Jesus' example. Because... Whereas the world says in order to become bigger, we must make everybody else feel smaller. In order for us to rise up, we need to push other people down. Look at how Jesus did it. Jesus didn't seek to humiliate people in order to make himself feel better. Jesus knew who he was. He had his feet firmly planted on the solid foundation of his identity. He knew he was the son of God, and he knew what he was about, his father's business. And from that position of power... He reached out to people who were floundering and lifted them up. He didn't seek to make his own name great. He sought to make God's name great and to care for his hurting image bearers. And because of that, it was God who raised him up and made his name great. And Paul says in the same way, you should follow his example because we are sons and daughters of God. And we are citizens of the kingdom of God. 
And since Jesus is our king, his values, not the values of Rome or the values of America, should shape our values. And from that, he says now in chapter 2, verse 12, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you might become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine amongst them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, even if my life is ultimately going to be sacrificed there in Rome, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. And you too should be glad and rejoice with me, irrespective of how things turn out. Now the first thing that really jumps off the page at me as I read these seven verses six verses, is that Paul points to them. And he says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And the reason it jumps off the page at me is because it feels a whole lot like Paul is suggesting to them, you need to earn your salvation. Work really hard to make sure that you are saved, to make sure that you're secure in God's love. And the reason it jumps out at me is not because that resonates, but because it so completely grates against the message of the Bible and so often about what Paul says himself. Because every single letter of Paul's continues to say the same thing. You can't save yourself. It doesn't matter how good you act. It'll never be enough. And all of your efforts are just a broken stairway to heaven that'll never take you to your goal of attaining righteousness so you can have relationship with God. Let's just look at one example from Ephesians. Can you throw it up there? This is Paul making the point that you can't save yourself. He says, it's by grace you've been saved, through faith. And this isn't from yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that nobody, nobody can boast or pound their chest and say, I've done it. This is the heart of Paul's message in every single letter, including the letter to the Philippians. So, he can't possibly be suggesting to them that they have to work harder to earn their security and their salvation. And if that wasn't clear enough, at the very beginning of his letter to the Philippians, do you remember how the name he uses to describe the Philippian believers? He calls them saints. Not sinners, not People who, who are checking God out and, and, and are working for him. Not even slaves like he refers to himself. No, he calls them saints, declaring once and for all, you are secure in his love. But if that's the case, then what exactly is he saying when he says continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? In order to understand that, I, I, I think it's important for us to remember the culture that we live in. We live in a culture 
that says we are the sum total of what we've done and how well we've done it. We are our resume. Better or worse. And because of that, we try to become self-made men and women. We find our identity in that. And Paul is saying that is not where our identity is found. As Christ followers within the church, we have placed a tremendous emphasis, and for good reason, on grace. Because the way that the world works and every other religion works, it says you have to earn your standing with God. And Christianity flies in the face of that. It, it, it rebels against that by saying, no, we are saved by the grace of God. We're saved by what he did on the cross, not what we do for him. And so we have been saved by grace. That is true. And it's not something we've earned. That is true. But not only have we been saved by grace, I would suggest to us, humbly, that we have been lulled into a state of complacency by grace as well. I'll speak for myself. I have been lulled into a state of complacency by grace. Because way too often, we make grace out to be the finish line. As if it is the end of what it means to answer the invitation of Jesus. As if all we need to do is pray a prayer and we're good. We can go back to living any way that we want. We can continue to be the captains of our ship. So long as we have got that fire insurance stamped but with Jesus' name on it. And guys, what that results in is people with anemic faith. Weak faith. And what Paul is saying is, I don't want you to have weak faith. Where you declare with your lips one thing, but your actions say something different. Because we, our, our actions speak so much louder than words. And people are watching us. So work out your salvation. Your sons and your daughters of God. That's who you are. Live out of it. Live like it's true. I think of my sons, just as an example, to bring this closer to home. I think of my boys. My sons are my sons, not because they've earned it. Not because they're just like me, even though they're just like me. Right? For better or for worse, they are my boys. There's no question about that. But my sons didn't need to earn their standing to be my sons. My sons can't do things to cease to be my sons. They will always be my sons. And yet, that does not mean that their mother and I let them live any way that they want, does it? Because at the end of the day, because our boys are our boys, we want our sons to reflect the values of our home. Which, our desire would be, reflect the values of our king, namely Jesus. That's our desire. And so we expend ourselves to the point of exhaustion, training our sons up in the way they should go. Not because we're trying to get them to jump through whatever hoop it takes for them to become our sons. They already are. They're secure in their identity. But because they're secure in their identity, their actions matter as a response to it, not a prerequisite to it. Is this making sense? Because in a, when it comes to our relationship with God, we are saved by grace. We are saints. End of story. If you have said yes to Jesus Christ, if by faith you've taken a hold of him, 
You're safe. You're saved. You're loved. You're accepted. You are part of his family, part of this big, messy, sometimes dysfunctional family. Welcome to the family. And you now get to start living like it. That's what Paul is saying here. Take your faith seriously. Begin to work out your salvation because we don't need anemic faith where we declare one thing and live as if we are not following Jesus. Jesus' invitation was not pray this prayer, cross this finish line, live any way you want. It was follow me every day, every step of the way. Follow me. Learn from me. Watch how I do it. Become more like me. Be shaped in my image so that when people encounter you, they see me. Not so that people will think, you're awesome, I love you, but so that people will be pointed back to him. That's the goal of our life, to continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Now, we need to, we need to understand what he means by that. Because the world would say fear and trembling is you, you, you got to be afraid of God. Because if you don't live up to it, if you don't do a good enough job, he's going to disown you. But that's not what he's meaning at all. He's pointing to the Old Testament concept of fear. As in the fear of God is the beginning of what? Wisdom. What the Old Testament writers all throughout the Proverbs and all throughout the Psalms were talking about when they talked about the fear of God was a, a deep understanding of who God is and who we are in comparison to him. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom because we begin to recognize you're God, and that means I'm not. And so rather than demanding that you order creation to suit my needs and my desires, I order myself around you. I let you be God, and I will be one of your kids. I will follow your lead. I will submit to your values rather than declaring that you should have my values in mind. And that's the beginning of wisdom. That is the beginning of what it means to order ourselves around him. And so when he says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, work out your salvation with a reverential respect for who God is because it will lead to you taking your faith more seriously. But just in case you falsely understand this to mean that it's all on your shoulders. Let's go to verse 13. He follows up that de declaration that we need to work out our salvation with this. For it is God who works in you, both to desire, to will, as well as to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. In other words, you can't even take credit for leaning into God and becoming more like him because he has not only given you the ability to do that through his, the impart, impartation of the Holy Spirit into every single one of us who says yes to Jesus. When we say yes, Jesus, I don't want you to just be my Savior and stamp that ticket to heaven, but I want you to be my Lord and I'm going to follow you and learn from you and become more like you. God gives us his Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that empowered Jesus throughout his earthly ministry. The same Spirit that drove out demons and fed multitudes with way too, way too little stuff. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and ultimately that spirit resides in us and enables us to begin to be shaped 
into the image of Jesus as we begin to obey and submit. But not only does he give us the ability to act, but also to desire to act. So we can't take credit for any of this. Now, one last little detail that I want to clarify for us before we move on is that when we read those words, continue to work out your salvation, we tend to read it from the mindset that he is talking to me individually. He said you, your, that's me, right? Because we're reading it from the context of America in the 21st century. The single most independent nation and culture in the history of the world. The single most individualistic culture in the history of the world. So it's no wonder that when we read, work out your salvation, we think he's talking to me, i got to try really hard because it's all on me. Independent of everybody else. Independent of my parents. Independent of my siblings. Independent of the people from my church. I've got to do this by myself. But obviously Paul isn't writing initially into the 21st century America. He's writing into the 1st century Roman Empire. And in the Middle East, they were the antithesis of individualistic. They recognized that they were, everything was done in community. Their entire identity was found in community. And so when we read, work out your salvation, please don't read that as your, meaning me individualistically, but rather as the Midwestern y'all, okay? Y'all should work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. He's talking about the fact that we do this together. Now, why does that matter? Because the very next thing he does is point to their relationship with one another and shows why the way they interact matters. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. The way we interact with one another says just as much to the world as the way that we interact with those outside the church. The irony is that far too often it feels like church communities are in competition with one another. That we're competing with one another. That we define ourselves by how we're different from others, kind of like how some of the political candidates define themselves not by what they are about, but rather how they're not like that person over there. And he's saying, don't do that. Stop arguing, stop grumbling, stop bickering, stop backbiting, stop fighting with one another, and rather look for ways to love one another so that you may be blameless and pure, just like my kids. It's just, it, I, I, I see Paul echoing the same words that I am speaking into my own home with my boys. Guys, stop arguing. Stop competing. Ethan, stop telling us how you're better than your brother at math. I don't care. You're three years older. Grayson, stop trying to prove that you're better than your brother at other stuff. Just stop, guys. You're brothers. Do you know what would truly make me happy as a parent? Son, is if rather than you spending your energy trying to put your brother down, you spent your energy looking for ways to build your brother up. Any parents in here would feel, would you feel good if your kids sought to actively love their siblings and make them feel better? Actually help them improve? I sure would. 
hint, hint, Ethan and Grayson, if you ever should, you know, watch this. This is the secret. Seek to care for one another rather than trying to define yourself by pushing one another down. And now, rather than focusing on them, let's focus on us. What if we, as a community of Christ followers, were to, rather than seeking to push other people down, we sought to lift them up? Other churches, rather than going, man, they're hurting right now, maybe we could benefit off of them as they're struggling. We, would, we said to ourselves, how can we take what God has entrusted to us to help them right now? What do we have in our hands? God, how can we use it? We have been blessed, and boy, have we been blessed as a community. But we've We've not been blessed for our own well-being. We've been blessed in order to be a blessing. And it begins with the way we treat one another. And then it spills over into the way that we treat the world around us. And by the way, this is nothing new that Paul is making up. This echoes very, very closely the very words that Jesus said on the night that he spent his, his final meal with his disciples before he was arrested. Remember the first thing he said to them is, hey guys... This is how the world will know that you're my disciples. By the way, you love one another, right? That's how the world will know that you are following me and you're shaped, in my, shaped by my values is by the way you love one another. And then later on as he's praying for his disciples in John 17, you don't have to turn there with me, but let me just go ahead and throw the words up on the board here. Um, he, he says this in a prayer about his disciples. Yes, no, oh, I see, the, the TVs are dead, so you're not going to get them. So, let me just read it. He says this, My prayer is not for my disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. He's praying for you and me, right here. I pray for those who will believe in me through the disciples' message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. And then he says this, if this truly happens, if we are brought to complete unity, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Both Jesus and Paul are saying the same thing. How we treat one another is a massive part of our testimony. It's how the world will begin to recognize that we're his kids. When our values, as we live them out, in the way that we treat one another, in the way that we talk about other churches, in the way that we post things online, in everything we do, in the way that we respond when people mock us, or put us down or argue with us. In everything we do. How we respond reflects upon our testimony. And Paul goes on to say. That if we can do everything without grumbling or arguing or backbiting. Then we'll become blameless and pure. We will truly not only be. But look to the world like children of God without fault in this warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. 
when I read that, you will shine like stars in the sky. I can't help but think about the night that Jesus was born, right? Or at least the Christmas story, because this could have been, at, you know, it could have been a couple of years in the making. But every Christmas we read about a star in the sky, and there are men and women from the east who are used to studying the stars. And they look up and they see a new bright star in the west. And they say, something has happened. Someone has been born of significance. And they follow that star until they find the Christ child. That star doesn't glorify itself and point to itself. And they say, look at me. Rather, that star leads them to the one that came to re redeem and restore and rescue the entire world. And Paul says that is how you and I will be when we love one another and in so loving one another also begin to love our neighbors as ourselves. One of the passages that we don't often read, we, we read about the star in the sky during every Christmas, but one of the passages we seldom read it's found in Daniel chapter 12. Can we throw that up on the screen? In Daniel 12, talking about what will transpire, talking about the one that will come to redeem, he says, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. Now, before you read on, those who are wise. Where does wisdom come from? What is the beginning of wisdom? The fear of God, that reverential respect, that recognition, he's God and I'm not. Where we begin to order our values about his values, he gets to determine. So those of us who have done that, who have said, God, you're God, and I am going to follow your lead, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who point people, who lead many to righteousness, not pointing them to us, not pointing them to a, a system of laws that they have to follow, but point them to the only one that can make them right with God, Jesus Christ. Can we put it back? We're not quite finished. Those who do that, who point many to righteousness, will shine like the stars forever and ever. So here's what I'm hearing Paul say to each of us this morning. And by each of us, I mean y'all, us, right? Together, here's what he's saying to us. If we take our faith seriously, and if we call him not only our Savior, but our Lord, if we have accepted the invitation to follow him, then the way that we live matters. And we will take our faith seriously. We will continue to work out what is already true of us. You're a daughter. You are a son of God. So let's live like it. And one of the ways we live like it is in the way that we treat one another. Rather than competing, rather than talking about how I'm better than this person at that, that's what makes me so great. We seek to lift others up. We, we follow his values. And if we can do that, if we can begin to work together within, rather than competing against one another, we will begin to point people to Jesus. And we got a great example of what this looks like a couple of weekends ago when we did Love Costa Mesa. Love Costa Mesa is one of those things that about three years ago we started doing where we often in Costa Mesa talk about the fact that there's only one church. It may meet in 55 different locations, 
may have, you know, 55 different teaching series they're going through. But ultimately, there's only one church. Jesus is the head of it, and we're not in competition with one another. So therefore, how can we work together to love our community? And Love Costa Mesa is one of the expressions of that. Now, this year obviously was different because of COVID. It wasn't as easy to have this massive gathering to kick it off or to have this massive worship session at the end of it. And yet, in the midst of that, we still got to about 400 people in Costa Mesa on that particular Saturday banded together to serve in 25 different locations, 25 different examples of loving our neighbor. I remember that morning, my sons go, why are we doing this? Are we, are we going to get paid for it? What's in it for us? And I go, we're doing it because Jesus loves us and we get to go and love another person. Well, do we know this person? Nope. Are we going to get anything from it? Just the joy of getting your hands dirty and helping somebody else alongside a lot of other people. And the beauty of this is that where we were at, this woman, woman Deborah's house, where we got to, I got to tear down fences. Oh, it was fun because I had the spiritual gift of deconstruction. Others, like Tony, and you know, had the spiritual gift of construction. But D, you and I, we could take stuff apart like nobody's business, right? In Jesus' name. We got to serve. I got to serve alongside my sons. I got to serve alongside members of other church communities that are all part of my family. And rather than having any one church's name on it, it had Christ's name on it. That is an example. It's one example, but it's an example of the church shining in our community as we point people to the only one that is their Savior. Some of you participated, and for those of you who did, thank you for taking that time. Some of you continue to participate with Fresh Beginnings Ministries on a weekly basis or with other things. Some of you are leading life groups. Some of you are serving in worship. For those of you who are using the gifts that God has entrusted to you to care for other people, thank you for taking this seriously. It's not just a one-time, once-a-year thing. And it makes me think of another opportunity coming up here for us to shine like stars in the darkness. We point people to the only one that can save us. And that's Halloween. Because traditionally, Halloween is about the darkest night of the year. Right? It's a night where people celebrate death and, and skeletons and ghosts and all that kind of stuff. And, and celebrate, you know, dentists celebrate because they're going to get a whole lot more money from all the cavities that are going to come. And parents, I... Um, don't celebrate because our house is going to be wild for a couple of days until the candy's gone, right? And that's just because my wife eats most of it from my kids, and she's crazy. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm guilty. It's me, right? We've, been, we, we've totally implemented the whole tithe system where I, I give them 10% and I get to keep the rest. Really good. Anyway, Halloween's coming up. And traditionally here at Lighthouse for the last decade, We've been doing this thing called Trunk or Treat, which I love, which was birthed out of when my boys, who are now 12 and 9, were teeny tiny. Ethan, I think, was three years old at the time. And we were walking through our neighborhoods, and there was skeletons and people jumping out of bushes to, like, just frighten them. And I'm like, my kids were spending most of the night crying. And I was, we were with a couple of other families, and their kids were scared. And we're like, why are we doing this? There's got to be a better alternative. And Trunk or Treat was born out of that. For the last nine years now, we have rented some big, powerful lights, and we have bought like 500 hamburgers, and Rich and his whole life group cook them all up for us, and you guys decorate your cars, and we give candy to kids, and we have a wonderful party for 500 of our closest neighbors. 
from all over our city and even beyond. And it's been great. But I will confess that last year as we were going through the missional pathway, I began to get convicted that perhaps I'd missed the boat. Because in, in doing this big grand gesture of love to our neighborhood, what I was doing is I was plucking each of you each of these stars that God has uniquely planted in your own neighborhood, I started plucking you out of your spheres of influence, out of the neighborhoods where you are around your neighbors, and instead, you were leaving your front porch lights off, and you were coming here, and I was dumping all these stars out into our parking lot so we could shine brightly at 300 Magnolia Street. But if we are the church, this building's not the church, then that's not the goal. I found myself years ago, and D, I'm sorry to pick on you some more, but I'm going to. I found myself years ago frustrated at my buddy D, because he and Connie live in this really cool cul-de-sac where they always do fun kind of community stuff, and he goes, hey, Eric, I love that you guys are doing that, but we're not coming, because we're going to stay in our cul-de-sac. And I'm like, D, why aren't you with us? What I realized now is that it was that they were ahead of us. They recognized what it's taken me a little bit of time to figure out. And that is, rather than putting all of our energy into shining here in this building at this location, God has uniquely scattered us all around Orange County. And he said, you're a star that gets to shine in the way that you love your community, but also your neighbors, your sphere of influence. And I, and I began to think last year, even as we were doing that, probably the biggest one we had was last year. And even during that, I was thinking, you know, it's, if we really understand what it means to invest into our spheres of influence, then trunk or treat probably its years are numbered. Because what if we as the church got to the point where we were also committed to loving our own unique God-given sphere of influence, or oikos as the, the Greek word is, the people that God has placed around us, whether it's family members or neighbors or people from work or from school, the people who are looking at our lives and are learning about Jesus by the way we treat others. What if we began to take that so seriously that more of us began to say, I'd love to come and help out here, but I need to be at home. I need to be in my neighborhood. I need to keep my porch light on. I need to be creative in the way I love my neighbors just as we're creative to love our city here. And then COVID hit, and it gives us a unique opportunity this year. I have no idea what next year will look like, but at least for this year, it gives us an opportunity to lean into being light in our spheres of influence. Because let's be honest, after all the sacrifices that we've made to be a good witness to our neighbors, thank you, by the way, for wearing your face masks in and wearing your face masks out. I appreciate that because it is a testimony to our neighbors that we care for them as we care for ourselves. But this Halloween, rather than just doing nothing, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to invite 500 people from all over the city to descend on our parking lot. That would be a slap in the face of our neighbors. And quite honestly, it wouldn't be a good witness. And so this year, and again, I'm not speaking for next year, we will prayerfully go, what, what is that going to look like? But for this year, we're not going to do trunk or treat. But that's not to say that we're not going to do nothing. Instead, I am going to now challenge you to creatively think about how you can love your neighbors, love your sphere of influence, love the people in your life. Now, this may mean you, like Dee and Connie, stay in your neighborhood 
and go, how can I, you know, kind of be a part of this? How can we be light on this dark night? Or it might look like some of you saying, we want to get together as families and just kind of do something together. I want you to get creative. In fact, I want to hear some of your creative ideas. If you've got an idea of how you can shine brightly, let me give you a couple of examples, and then I want to start hearing them in the coming weeks. I want you to email to pastor at lighthousecommunity.com your ideas for how you can creatively love your neighbor. Here's two examples that I've heard. One was somebody who recognized, you know, on, on Halloween, people typically get all dressed and spend all this energy, but then they take a snap with their camera and, or with their phone, and that's about it. They never actually have a tangible reminder. And so they said, hey, we're going to set up a photo booth. And we're going to have our, our little, um, you know, camera that actually has the, what, what are those things? Polaroid camera. And we're going to take pictures in our neighborhood of everybody that comes and bless them with that. Another family said, you know what? We always cook this wonderful family chili and we, we cook uh, cider. And we always have it for those of us who are part of the family. But we recognize there's people coming by who don't need candy. They need a meal. And so they will put a table out and they will serve their neighbors as if they were family. Now, I understand COVID, you got to consider how you do that, but just let those be the, the, the inception of ideas for you. How can you love your sphere of influence? Where would God invite you to invest that night? Not because you need to prove to yourself or to God that you are worthy. You are worthy. You're his son. You're his daughter. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God, living in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. So let's live like it. Let's work out our salvation. Let's not allow our faith to be anemic. Let's put it into action. Fair? You with me? Quoted Jerry Maguire, and that's all I get? Come on, who's with me? All right, I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. Let me just pray for us. Let's just, and then we're going to get to spend some more time celebrating and worshiping God, celebrating and worshiping Him for who we are. We know who we are. And we know what we get to be about. So Father God, help yourself to our lives. As your children, who are called by your name, have your way in us. May we so completely order our lives around your life, you being God and we being your kids, that our lives would naturally reflect the light of hope that we have found in you so that others who have been made in your image and who are desperately loved by you would come to know you and call you not only their Savior, but their Lord. Jesus, we pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Let's worship together.
today and I'm just so grateful that we get to be on this adventure together that we are family I'm so grateful we're not in competition with any other church community and if there are ways that we can help support them we're in right because we are stars we that, that sounds we are sons and daughters of God we know who we are so now as we go let's look for ways to raise others up Above the water. Because we have our feet firmly planted in our identity as his children. And we know what we're about. We're about his business. Guys, I love getting to worship with you. Man, I have missed this. And so I'm so grateful that we get to be together. Um, if you have prayer requests, you can drop them in the boxes in the back. Or email them to pastor at lighthousecommunity.com. If you have a financial gift of offering, a declaration of God, I trust you more than my stuff. You can put those in the box or you can just go on our website and you can give that way. But if you would, let me just pray a blessing over us. If you put your hands out. This is a reminder from our Father to us. His words, not mine. You are my child. 
whom I love more than you could ever possibly fathom. Just watching you grow into the son or daughter that I created you to be brings me joy. So don't try to earn my love. Rather, live out of it and seek to love others as I have loved you. Now, Lighthouse, go and be the church. Have a wonderful week. Thank you.